What up, what up, what up? Maya's trying to sing. Welcome back to Black Oak House Reviews. I'm your host, Christina. We're back to dive into a new crime thriller, mystery, sci-fi, British, dark meets, uh, a detective mystery. I don't know, but I'm really engaged and all in on the first episode. I'm like, oh, oh. Oh. Sign me the fuck up! <laughs> good shit! Good shit! That's some good shit right there! Of course, I went in completely blind, so I was pleasantly surprised how much the premise has been up my alley. And I haven't had the best run with Netflix British original series, particularly in the last year. So while I was hesitant, I was like, we're going to give this a go. And already it is leaps and bounds ahead of some of the other shows like Carrie. What was the other one I watched that wasn't that good? It was quite a few. It just fell apart. And so did the memory of me watching them because they're not coming to my brain. Bodies. It's based on a 2015 DC Vertigo graphic novel of the same name, written by Cy Spencer and illustrated by Dean Ormstone, Tula Lotte, Megan Hetrick, and Phil Winslade. The series consists of eight episodes. It actually premiered in October of this year. The plot starts with the appearance of a dead body in Long Harvest Lane in London. This event happens in the same location in several timelines. And the detectives have to investigate to figure out what the hell is going on. It was created by uh, Paul Tomlin. Starring, we'll do the main cast in the recurring Jacob Fortune Lloyd as D.S. Carl Charles Whiteman or Weissman. Amaka Okafor as D.S. Shahara Hassan. Kyle Soler as D.I. Alfred Hillinghead, also my baby daddy. Because, oh my God, you know I got a soft spot for gingers anyway, but him and those blue eyes. I lick it good, suck this pussy just like you should, my neck. I had to work really hard to concentrate on the scenes because I, I was I was having a hard time controlling myself. <laughs> Shira Haas as D C Iris Maplewood, Greta Sakai as Lady Polly Harker, Tom Mothersdale as The Body, Michael Gibson as DCI, Danny Barber, Stephen Graham as Commander Elias Mannix, recurring cast, Daryl Riddle as DCI Calloway, George Parker as Henry Ash, Gabriel Howell as Elias Mannix, Sinove 
Carlson as Polly Hillinghead and Amy Manson as Charlotte Hillinghead, which means he must be married, even though we didn't discover this in uh, this episode. But that makes sense. <sighs> okay, I need to stop thinking about just how fine he is and <laughs> focus on giving more credit where credit is due. Executive producers. Paul Tomlin once again, Marco Krutz Painter, Will Goodfrith Tilpady, no, Tip Lady, producer Susie Legat, cinematography Joel Devlin, editor Johannes Hubrick, and I think we have given all credit where credit is due so that we can discuss the first episode, You're Already Dead which was written by Paul Tomlin and directed by Marco. Before we jump into the recap, wherever you're listening into this podcast, wherever good podcasts can be found, whichever platform, go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review, like, share, subscribe. If you want to send feedback or find my social medias, they will be below as well. Let's start in 2023 because that is where the show starts us. Uh, Detective Sahara Hassan is called to, well, she goes and drops off a present for her dad. She has a little son. I say little son because I want to say little boy and then I tried to say son and now I just, just outed myself. So she has a son who's a little boy, about eight or nine, if I'm to guess. I can't tell with boys nowadays. They shoot up like roots. Just one minute they're this, and I know because my nephews are are like that. I'm like, damn, you don't seem the age in which your skeleton frame. Moving on, she then goes to what I think is, I'm not really familiar with the groups there's some night templars people coming out and it looks like some racism because there's a need for crowd control and they've been brought in on their day off and the people that were behind the fence are saying racism is not welcome in london so this march is equivalent of the kkk when they walk through the streets of ohio i remember that shit when i was in high school and everybody was all upset about it And then I wrote a high school paper, research paper on the KKK. They weren't too pleased about that either. I think I told this story before. It's me and the, and the kid that discussed Hitler and his plan. (laughs) We're in the principal's office needing to explain ourselves. Like we weren't advocating for anything. It's called a research paper. You're just upset we picked such bombastic topics. But this is what I I equated that to. And then she sees a kid. She said he was Asian, but he clearly wasn't Asian. But I guess from afar, he has a gun. She gives chase. They don't want to cause anything that will start people to, you know, if they see the cops are harassing someone of color then they may uh, have a reason to think that they're supporting 
and the police is there to support the white supremacists. So I got what the what her boss was trying to say. But here he is utilizing her and um, one of her co-workers of the same melanin at the front lines, you know, to show that the police are diversive and supporting what the people are supporting despite being there to keep the peace for the protesters that are against that idea. The political maneuvering was seen. She goes after the kid. It was very clear to me that she could see that he was scared and something was bothering him. But I could see that he was leading her to where the body is found butt naked on the road well, in an alley with a gunshot wound through their eye. He did, man. He points the gun at her and she's like, let's just figure this out. And for British cops, London cops, they don't have guns. They have tasers, which can seem a little disproportionate. Now they do have some teams where they're authorized to use that type of weaponry, but it's because of the gun laws and how a not as prolific gun ownership is that the police are able to, for a majority of them, do their job without the need of using excessive force. And I think that's admirable. And it proves that it can be done. If we are policing in ways that are productive. Now there's other there's other cases I've seen from Britain and I'm like, what the fuck are y'all doing? Because some of y'all seem really lazy in certain areas of the country, particularly where the crime and the drug is a little bit higher along with the prostitution. These are the schematics I'm seeing. Sidebar aside, when she gets to Long Harvest Lane, that's when she finds the body. And that lane is important because it's where the body is found across multiple timelines. It's here that we go to 1941 and meet Detective Sergeant Charles Whitman, not Whitman, Whiteman. World War II started in 1939, so they're two years into the war. It's a little ironic how anti-Semite, uh, I can never say that word, anti-Semite, <laughs> anti-Semitism, how that was high in London and yet the European powers like Britain and America, who also had their own particular brand of issues, were so appalled at the bloodbath that was the genocide of the Jewish population. Because that's what historically a lot of Europeans have done. Shit goes wrong. Shit goes bad. Let's blame the Jews. I don't understand. It has something to do with the Bible. And that in itself 
is problematic. <laughs> so that is what he has to deal with. Unfortunately, he's someone that probably due to this treatment now works now works on the criminal side of things especially when it's to his face this guy Farrell D.I. Farrell thinks that there's a snitch in the department he says it's him due to his association with money or Jewish's association with money the thing of it is the only reason why Jewish people were associated with money is because Christians uh, decided that they couldn't lend money to each other because that was against some type of rule that they made up. So the Jewish population were allowed in and allowed to be the money lenders because it, it brokered that made up law that they did. And so <laughs> to be, to be uh, stereotyped upon something that you yourself created to st uh, the stereotype of and no one ever seems to be aware of this ma this matter is astounding Kanye West is dumbass he gets a phone call from a woman and we hear a very common phrase throughout the episode which is know you are loved. She instructs him to pick up some keys, get in a car, go to Long Harvest Lane, pick up a body and transport it back to me. But on the way there, he gets stopped by D.I. Farrell, who knows he's corrupt and wants a piece of the pie. I see. White people be like, I suppose if a police officer is chasing you in 1941, it's perfectly reasonable to decide when and where you want to pull over. Farrell gets out of the car and wants to look in the boot of his car because he's been watching him. He knows he got him dead to rights. But his fallacy was that there's German bombing raids above you and you're like oh it's cool we we ain't in danger what are you fucking stupid i really like the effect of the blast of the bomb so now because of his idiocy he's under a lot of ru rubble and debris and because white men was in the car he was protected a lot better so he's able to escape but unfortunately, he had to leave the body behind. Let's go to 1980 before we get to the conclusion of all three storylines here. Where we meet Detective Inspector Alfred Hillinghead. Baby. I'm going to try to control myself. It's going to be really hard. That's what she said. But he's watching a little kid who is being arrested because he's been caught stealing they're starving that's what happens in victorian england they don't give a fuck how old you are you're going to jail mom just wants to ride with him to the police station and alfred allows that to happen before every 
discovery of the body, all of the lights go out in the alleyway. So there's some type of electrical surge. Now we've been down the dark road before. So this has hallmarks of time travel. That being said, once they find the body, the alley itself is known for its homosexual community. And because back then it was a crime and considered a gross indecency, certain events unfold beginning with the meaning of Henry Ash, who is a local journalist. He's being harassed about his camera. Alfred has a very under noted chill about him. He simply observes, makes his decisions, holds people accountable. When he roughed him up, uh, he told the guy, you're going to be docked for that because it's not your job to harm people. Yes, we need the footage in the camera, but he can have his camera back. That's the evidence the camera is not. And while he does push him off, Henry thanks him, but it's like, don't thank me because we gonna, I'm, I'm going to be your enemy later. There is clearly some tension between the two of them from the onset, from the way they just kept looking at each other out the side of their eyes. And he asked him why he was taking pictures of the dead body. That's when he explains that he's a journalist. I came upon the scene. I called for help. I took photos because that's what a journalist does. And he says, I'll come by to pick up the photos from you, which he does. Then we get the scene where all three of them are going over the autopsy and come to the conclusion that there is not a bullet in the hole or in the brain due to the wound that indicates as much. This when he goes to Henry Ash's home, he opens the door and of course he's got his naked buff chest out. Horny bitch detected. Horny bitch detected. Alfred is impressed by his photography and Henry is impressed by him. He shows him the photos of the body, particularly the one that has a, a uh, reflection in it of the person that was in the alley that must have creeped away before the police got there. So there goes their lead. And that's really good that they got the whole face on camera. That's when he asks about his own alibi because he gets serious. Like you're still a person of interest because you were near the body. You discovered the body. You got these photos. <laughs> so he asks for an alibi. And he provides his alibi by giving him the photos of multiple homosexual couples, including one with himself and another man. He arrests him for gross indecency after Alfred rebuffed his kiss 
and I don't even blame him for going in on that. How can you not? He tells him you're wasting your time. And when he does get him to the police station, he's like, okay, you want to know the name of my alibi? Call the commissioner of the police department and tell him his married son was seen with me in a photograph at a Molly house. Look at you trying to prove a point, deny your sexuality, and now you put your dick in it. <laughs> Back to 2003, while Hassan is at her father's birthday party, she gets pulled away from her captain, who says we found, or we were able to identify. Saeed and found his sister Alia or Alia and because they are of the same faith he asked that she speak with her because he spoke with his sister right before the discovery of the body she agrees to do so the officer her sergeant was he did spin it well like hey we either can bring him in and it's relatable because you say that you believe that this kid was scared, that he didn't do it, that things are not making sense. That's fine. But there are other people out there right now who are gun happy and more than willing to see everyone of your nationality as a terrorist and not ask as many questions as they should. So he's, she's able to go and talk to Alia, who is very much aware that either this woman is sitting next to her because it's better to be in numbers, safety in numbers, or you're wearing a wire. Hassan assures her that I will keep him safe, give him my number, tell me, tell him to just contact me. She then goes back to her dad's birthday party, but there's some Jonas looking motherfucker in a yellow coat and everything standing at the corner. I immediately started to become alarmed because it's like, please don't put me on no journey like Dark did. It was a great journey, but I don't know if I'm mentally prepared for that level of fuckery right now. Then she goes back into the party. She seems to be a good mom, but she's called away a lot and her dad has to step in. But that's what happens when you're dedicated to your job and you're a single parent. She gets a call from Saeed to come meet her at the mall, which she does. Even I saw the two cups right there and thought, is he just preparing for them to have coffee together or did he just drink these two cups of coffee and been sitting here? But she sits down and talks to him and he kind of not makes much sense with you were just supposed to find the body. I shouldn't have called you here. It's going to end the way it's going to end because she tells him they're going to come in here ready to shoot you. And he's like, yeah, I'm fully aware of that. 
So I think he was trying to be taken out by the police and she was committed to saving him. And when they show up, he decides to double down on because she was like, you're not making sense. And he says, yeah, you won't be making sense soon in the future. And you want to help me now? He said that as if they had had this conversation before. Then he shoots into the crowd. Then he points the gun at her so that they would take the shot. But instead of taking the shot, she's able to disarm him. But only briefly before he gets the gun, points it at her, then says, no, you are loved before committing suicide. This, this, this is not okay. The acting was great in the scene because they lingered on it and just didn't cut away because people are uncomfortable, you know? It's more like, no, this is horrifying. His blood's all over me. I need to get away. But at the same time, like, how did this happen? She, of course, blames herself, even though she should not. She did everything that she possibly could. Her, the sister, Alea, unfortunately blames her, uh, spits down at her. The department sees. She doesn't let that distract her. She's more interested in getting into what frightened him, who gave the kid the gun. And she realizes that someone was there with him, goes back, looks at the footage, sees the same yellow jacket kid looking at the camera with intent I got my eyes on you back in 1941 the investigation into Farrell's death is given to white men and I can't tell if the captain is allowing him to hang himself with his own rope or if he genuinely doesn't suspect him. But his face says, this motherfucker think he's slick. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let him discover the body and get into the car because he lost his lighter. Like, they really wouldn't go through all of that stuff beforehand, run the plates. Pharaoh clearly made it no secret. He thought that that this guy is is corrupt. I don't trust him. And then the, the, the day after, not the same day that you accuse him, he pulls someone over and then they're dead and the other person gets away like, mm, mm. <laughs> then he got in the car and found his lighter, then opened the boot and they found the body and it's like, oh no. And then he goes back to the station like, I don't want anyone to say, that Farrell was, was the snitch. He was one of us. So we're going to do him justice and, and get his murderer. <clears throat> Bullshit. He comes off so sus that I can't believe anyone would trust him. The whole time, I was like, either he's a terrible actor, or he's just a bad liar, and he thinks that he's being more clever than he actually is. Who is this woman that seems to be behind this cult of know that you are loved since she said it not once, but twice upon ending her conversations with white men, the first time giving him the instructions about the body 
And then calling him and saying, we wanted the body, not a murder investigation. So you need to find a way to kaput that and get me what we asked for. He's like, well, I can't just destroy everything. I need some time. They're like, no, you don't have a lot of that. Know that you are loved before they slam the dial down on him. His is the least likable storyline just because pencil mustaches are a no. In 1980, when he goes back to the coroner, the coroner, <laughs> the coroner, Ladbrook, he shows him the photos. He laughs at the fact because he was making a lot of homosexual derogatory remarks during the autopsy saying this guy was found on his knees. He was really inappropriate. Before he actually recognizes the man in the reflection, Alfred tries to throw his weight around saying, I'll take this to the highest authority if you don't tell me who this person is. And he tells them, you do that, you're dead. If I were you, I would burn everything. Leave no evidence behind. I'm going to tell you only once, and I shouldn't have told you that. Oh, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And because I was going into this blind and had not even read the credits that I gave you guys at the top of the episode... I had no idea there was a fourth storyline popping up in 2053 until it did. What the fuck is going on? Driving down the street is Detective Constable Iris Maplewood. There's the electro... Uh, electricity power outage that goes on. But then they detect an electromagnetic anomaly originating from Long Harvest Lane. So she goes to investigate. It seems like that area has been walled off for some reason. And that's when she discovers the same body. Except he's not dead. This guy is alive. to clap my hands that was a very strong pilot i gave it a 9.8 out of 10 i thoroughly enjoyed it i have no predictions because i have no clue what's going on and sometimes that's just for the best know that you are loved is certainly going to be some type of thread that should should uh, push us through all the storylines. I don't know what it could possibly mean. I hope Mimi and Shy joined me because I told them I was going to be watching this and they said, yeah, maybe I'll look into it because I think this would be totally up their alley. If you want to send feedback for the next episode, blackercouch at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment below. 
That's where my social media is as well. Until the next time, peace, hair grease, and black girl magic. <laughs>